0: All their investors lost basically every single dime. And if you recall, nine months after it was founded, there was over $300 million invested at an evaluation of $2 billion. Four years later, the company goes public via SPAC.
1: Please tell me Chamath left this.
0: I'ma look. (laughs) This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing.
1: Hold up, it is. Huh? Gibberish? Hold up, it
0: is. Name that song.
1: I don't know.
0: It's one of your favorite artists, too. You don't recognize Yeah. Will Smith? Party like (laughs) it's 19. Hold up, it is. (laughs) Not not one of my
1: favorites.
0: (laughs) how you doing as we close out this magical year
1: oh it's just wonderful you know year-end show gets me really excited because mm-hmm. well so many reasons we just wrapped up the investing gear but it's shout out time Dougles, are you ready oh, for the shout outs i don't think so but go for it okay we love our listeners and feel so blessed to connect That's with you true. guys check this out Dougles. all right we got obviously the good old us of a Coming up number two on the listener count, Canada representing. The okay. third spot is Sweden, followed by Germany. And then listen to some of these brilliant names. We still got our friends in Guatemala helping us out. France is making a comeback. Hold on. Hold on. Those who have yeah. been long-term listeners know that the, the Guatematians have, have been around, around forever. One. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Guad- I think Guatemalans oh. is the proper terminology, uh, just to be clear. If, I mean, we're just finance podcasters over here. The second page is my favorite. We got Switzerland up in here. India is coming up. And I know when we make it big in India, things are going to go off the chains. Uh, United Kingdom, Spain, yeah, whatever. Then we got South Africa and Kenya, man. If we can make a dent in the African population, I'm going to throw a party. Like We might have to fly down there and have a meet and greet. It's killer. It's killer. Antarctica. We got Antarctica up in there. Uh, I don't see Antarctica on the list. Oh, yet. Okay, so let's continue the shout-outs, Dougles. We, we need goals. We need goals. Okay, keep going. Shout out to the premium listeners. That list grows. It grows every year. We love you guys. Next week, we're aiming. Next week should be the premium
0: at the annual premium holder episode where we talk about what we're investing in this next year and our performance from last year. SkippyDougles.Supercast.com. Yeah. It's very good to check that out.
1: So we, for other we call listeners, that the, I roll with Skippy. Douglas Premium Membership. That's right. Um, so for other listeners, you'll likely get that. a you'll get like
0: highlights of some of our best clips, most popular clips uh, from
1: last year, and the annual premiums. We'll get that. My most important shout out. I think I'm going to save for last. I got I got three other shout outs. Shout out to Pop Tarts. Did you see the Pop Tart Bowl this week, Dougal's? I got I got some content. messages about it. I got some messages about it, but I never. I did not. I did not witness it. Okay, they have this, like, life-size toaster with a pop-tart, a dancing pop-tart that, like, dances to fireworks. And then at the end, he hops in the toaster and gets toasted, spits out the other side, and the team eats an edible, like, four-foot-long pop-tart. Hold up. We got masochistic suicidal pop-tarts? It's the most amazing thing you will (laughs) see. (laughs) You spend some quality time on pop-tarts. Also, shout-out to Clint. Clint. Shout out to Connor on your recovery and your trip to Oregon. But the number one shout out of the Skippy and Dougal show actually was our listener. So let's call this number two. Mikkel Bridges, NBA player for the Brooklyn Nets. Do you know why Mikkel gets a shout out here? No, go for it. This dude has eaten Chipotle every day for 10 years. Props to you, Mikkel. That is totally the Skippy style. I love it. This is an athlete? A professional athlete? Professional athlete. 10 straight years Chipotle every day. It makes me think about Dr. Dre for a sec though.
0: Elaborate. Chipotle
1: every day. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. the funniest thing you've said all year. You gotta end it right. You gotta end the year right. Should um, we uh should we hop into the Shindig or you got more? Let's hop in. But but truly, thank you to the listeners. We love that we're worldwide and uh we love to see the premium subscribers grow. Uh the show's no fun without you guys. So don't forget to hit us up, especially our friends in Africa, but really wherever you are, hit us up, skippydoogles at gmail.com. We'll make some custom content for you. Okay. If we're gonna if we all stick on the theme of shout-outs, can I reach in the fishbowl to give a shout out to your good friend, colleague, and mentor, Kathy Wood? I mean, come on. There are some people, this is the first time they've ever listened to the show and you're throwing that shade <laughs> out here? For, for the people that are just
0: tuning in, Kathy Wood has been a recurring theme, mostly by me, if I want to take that, mostly by me on this podcast, because we say, look, Kathy, we love the fact that you are a woman in this field that is generally dominated by men doing your thing got those strong marketing skills love that you've been in a game for minutes now i can't even say a minute minutes now love that but come on player, you can't shout the nonsense that's kind of the whole thing today today on the shout out i'm gonna say this kathy wood and specifically so kathy wood runs arc whose flagship fund is the ARK Innovation Fund, ticker ARKK. ARKK, in the year 2023 2023 for the layperson, came back with a
1: 67.64% performance. Shout out, no, Kathy. Hold on, oh, hold on. Is this, are you trying to get me to rant? No, because I'm about There's to
0: flip th- the script. <laughs> I'm about to flip the script now. So if you remember, those of you who have been following the game for a minute, Kathy Wood back in 2020, and that's when Kathy Wood really got on the map hardcore for like the average retail investor. I'd say 2020, Kathy Wood's ARKK, A-R-K-K spit out over 150% return. Mm-hmm. And so people then piled in, get up in there. Skippy talks about a lot how people are chasing the next hot mutual fund manager by looking at past performance and yeah. generally very recent past performance. And so this is, I don't want to put it as a warning that might be too strong, but what I'm saying is when you have a fund like ARK that invests in things like ARK, you got you get these spikes that could happen this year. That does not mean pile in. Do what you want. I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily mean pile in. So what I want to do is actually go back through ARK's history, nine years of performance, okay. and spit out some of the returns. Here we go. So 2015, first full year, 3.75%. I'm, just, I'm not going to name the years. I'm just going to go through and you can ask me the years. Mm-hmm. i just gonna be faster this way. So 2015, 3.75%, then negative 2%, then 87%, then 3.5%, then 36%, then 153%, negative 23%, negative 67%, then this year's 67%. So what does this add up to in the end? Three-year performance of ARC, negative 57.6%. Over the last three years, cumulatively. Do you have the five-year number handy? Five-year, 45% cumulatively. Up?
1: Up. Okay.
0: All-time, 187%. S&P 500, -hmm. last three years, 33%. That's versus the negative 57% for Kathy Wood over the last three years. Five years, 107% versus the 45%. And then during that nine-year period, the S&P was 172% up.
1: And Kathy Wood was 187% up.
0: So what's the takeaway you get from this?
1: Uh, My pre-existing biases tell me to never invest in Kathy Wood. But that's probably not what you're looking for.
0: It's not that far off. I, I wouldn't say never invest, make your own decisions. But our don't research recommendation, or my don't research recommendation here, is that volatility in and of itself is not necessarily bad but this is like volatility not worth volatating
1: over yeah that's what i would say i mean despite you making up words over there that's (laughs) might be the right takeaway i i think my takeaway is related slightly different so this is bubble times like it or not like 2015 to 2023 has been there's been one blip for covid and everything else has been up and to the right and you can pick your asset class. 12 months ago, we were talking about the everything bubble. Actually, 18 months ago, we were talking about the everything bubble. Now, we're back to all those same valuation levels, and but no one's talking about the everything bubble anywhere anymore. So, like, make your own conclusion about that. But if there's a nine-year period where taking these risky speculative bets, I mean, it's never going to work for me. But for one, this would be the nine-year period to do it. And you'd hope in doing that you'd crush the performance of the sp500 like it Dougal's, you're not even comparing that to qqq which is probably a more apt comparison and i bet that crushes arcs performance you're right
0: you're right i'm not comparing it to qqq and you're most likely i can probably do a quick pull up and just get a sense for qqq is but i don't even think we need to it's all good yeah you're right you're right when i saw the 67 percent this year i went oh snap because even we were looking, and this was highly concentrated, I think, in the last six or so weeks. Because in the last couple months, I brought up Kathy Wood and was like, oh, she's up 30 something percent this year. And so that is catapulted. I looked at that. I had forgotten. I knew Kathy Wood got crushed last year. I had forgotten that ARC was down over 20% in 2021. I'd forgotten that it was down over 20% and then down two thirds. That is, that's hard. But you know what? Going back to what I said before as a human being and as a leader, she persevered. Somehow she persevered with taking her percentage off of a high AUM to make good money. Somehow she persevered. Moving on,
1: before <laughs> you throw more shade,
0: <laughs> I'm gonna get myself into trouble. I actually do, what I said before was genuine though. I think exactly. being a, a female leader with her, like high profile in this industry is awesome. And I think there's a lot of good that she's probably doing symbolically from that perspective. And when you have a microphone that's that big, saying some of the things that she says are kind of dangerous so both of
1: those i think are true all right props and moving on so uh i hate to do these personally i don't like to do these but as a host of an investing podcast sometimes there's value uh let's predictions talk a little bit uh, no absolutely, not. absolutely. <laughs> let's talk about a little bit about what happened in 2023 okay um just because these numbers are kind of fun so s p 500 total return 26.3%. We're going to talk about that relative to our portfolios next week. That if you look year by year, total returns for the S&P 500, just a few facts to keep you being an optimist. 73% of the time, that number is positive for a one-year period. Over a five-year period, 88% of the time, that number is positive. Over a 10-year period, 94% of the time, that number is positive. So like, what about 20? Similar? I mean, 20 is 100% of the time. There you go, baby. But, hey, we are Americans, <laughs> and we've been very blessed with yes, a that variety is, that's, true. That but, that's true. That is highly true. That's not a guarantee all over the world, and it's not a guarantee as uh, things evolve. Very true. If we talk things that aren't S&P 500, NASDAQ up 55%. Same story there, Dougal's like, but what did NASDAQ do last year? All these, all these things that went crazy up, you need to zoom out a little bit. There's got to be some kind of, like, bot. Where when
0: you're talking about NASDAQ and they say, what about last year? That The bot automatically comes back with, why are you talking about
1: old stuff, though? <laughs> like, yeah, listen, we're, we're the NASDAQ over here. We talk about well, the now and talk- the future. <laughs> Bitcoin, 152%. Again, what did Bitcoin do last year? But Michael Saylor's over there doing a little Jake. Small caps up 17%. What small caps did in the past two months of the year was kind of insane. But the valuation gap there, don't get me into nerd value investing land, but the valuation gap still looks extremely promising for non-US stocks and small caps. So at some point, that's going to bounce. Developed markets outside of the US, 18%. REITs up 12%, kind of shocking to me um, with all the turmoil uh, with some of the rental properties. Gold up 13%, emerging markets up 12%. Cash doing about 5%, commodities down slightly. Interesting, right? The other big story
0: this year, I think, in uh, commodities earlier in the year, though, was nickel. Wasn't it nickel that like had to halt trading for some, some reason? Back Gosh, in? I
1: think that was like 14 months ago. I think that's actually. Oh, it was last yeah. year. Sorry. Okay. I could be, aging aging could be wrong. Aging I mean, myself. nothing matters as much as someone eating Chipotle burritos for every day. <laughs> <pretenders. laughs> You speak the truth. That's your high-level breakdown. Diggles, what you got? All right. I'm going to go back into the fishbowl.
0: I want to talk about skiing. And more specifically, there's a piece in Slate called Epic Fail, written by Gordon LaForge. Epic Fail by Gordon LaForge. And what it's discussing is the rise of a duopoly in skiing. On one side, you have Vale Resorts. On the other side, and this is in the U.S., on the other side you have Altera. I'm going to give a couple hits of a brief breakdown. Love to get perspective. I think this is interesting. We'll have this on the Substack so you can just read it through. But to start, here's how they came about. And, And in the origin story here, I get to hit on one of our most recent topics that's popped up a bunch around private equity. Okay. For those that are not based in the US, which it's a large cohort, as Skippy was talking about, In the U.S., there are these two big organizations that I just named, and they have two big annual ski passes. So you can buy the ski passes, and at some some resorts, you get unlimited skiing. At some, you just get a limited number. But this is the Epic Pass and the Icon Pass. The Epic Pass is the one that's offered by Vail. Icon Pass is offered by Altera, and they're about $1,000 each. So not a small price to pay,
1: but if you're going to ski
0: a lot, you get a good deal well,
1: from them. And Altera is largely Aspen. So the, regardless of where you're on the world, you've probably heard of Vail and Aspen. And, and they've turned in over the last 20 years to these massive conglomerate corporations that have basically created a duopoly, like, like you said, where you get one of two options, but you certainly don't get both. Let's talk about the origin story now.
0: So let's go back to the early 1990s. We discussed Leon Black here and Apollo. In the early 1990s, Apollo Capital Management bought an LP that owned Vale and Beaver Creek. Those are both Colorado-based ski areas, and they were in bankruptcy at the time. So bought those up and then just started building through both partnerships and other acquisitions, started building what is now
1: this massive organization under Vail. So that's one. That's on one side of it. Yeah, then, a quick number there. Vail is currently a $9 billion empire with 42 resorts across Australia, Switzerland, North America, and I believe Japan. Thank you. Thank you. And please do color in
0: some of my qualitative. So as Vail started growing and also the Epic Pass, which is, again, I mentioned partnerships and acquisitions. So the Epic Pass overall has over 80, I think is the number resorts you can get access to so it's all it's veils plus a bunch of partnerships that they have so as the epic pass and the veil they continued to grow and there's this other denver-based organization called IntroWest west that existed IntroWest west offered a competing pass with copper mountain winter park also colorado but then a few years ago someone went hold on now. this is the this is end." i quote hold on how they gone back in the 90s Get their private equity up in here and we ain't got no private equity so what they did <laughs> what they did 2017 was, it was a private equity company ksl capital partners that joined with the owners of aspen to buy intra-west mm-hmm. so the duopoly then grew out of the ashes like a phoenix over the last few years so now you got those two companies and that, that's where in altera what i mentioned before the purchase of of Intra West, that became altera So now you got Atera and you got Veil. I thought that this one, I'm going to read this, an actual quote this time, I'm going to read this because I think that this is like an interesting take on the psyche, right? Of the consumer. Sometimes when we look at some of these things, we're like, oh man, we got these two big companies. I hate it. Capitalism's taken over our mountains. It used to be so much fun, but now it's blah, 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 blah. Here it goes. We decry Amazon's size and labor practices. Yet we are all still prime members. Airlines nickel and dime us while providing worse service. But what are we going to do? Not fly? The structure of the ski industry transcends individual choice. Changing it would require the companies in ski areas to value something besides just growth and profit. You like hopping on the Elizabeth Warren train over there? No, I'm not. I just thought I thought it was a pretty powerful. So <laughs> then, <laughs> so that you you know...
1: You know, how I was how I just checking that. in. I, I was just yeah, for a second. You,
0: you know how I feel about that. I just got back from a dude ranch. <laughs> so, so then what's interesting is it then tells this story of Arapahoe Basin, also known as A Basin, that's also here in Colorado. So, A Basin was part of the, the Vail Multi Mountain Pass since 1997. So, this epic pass since 1997. But then in 2019, A Basin said, We're done and hopped out. Of the epic pass so they just they went back to having their own pass in the 2022 to 2023 season a basin had fewer or sorry 40 percent fewer visits than it did in 2018 so that was the year before it changed over so visits have gone down by 40 percent, but they're profitable they've been able to sell their tickets for less they've reinstated some of the more community-based activities that existed on the mountain and according to this author it's as fun and lively as ever interesting counter argument
1: i mean so so let me put you on the spot what do you think what do you think is the right balance here so here's the thing if you go back to the statement
0: that i where you you called me elizabeth warren follower Mm -hmm. if you go back to that if i zoom out from that i say people vote with their dollars and i think the balance i don't think pure market is necessarily it but predominant market i think will lead to the balance and i believe that if if these at the point where the mountains stop necessarily
1: being the place that people want to go i think sales will start to drop yes uh, so um so this hits home for me right like we are a colorado based podcast i skate all these places it's gotten out of whack uh another example from the article is um, you talked about the cost of the angle passes which is like a thousand bucks and in a way If you ski frequently, that's an incredible deal. But for the Denver-based dad who wants to take his kid skiing for the first time, they do some rough uh, estimates here. Lift ticket, $280. Parking, $20. Basic rental gear, $80. Lunch, including a burger, fries, and Gatorade, $35. And then $418 for a kid's rental ticket and lessons. That's $800 for one day. That's wild. You go sit in traffic. You you probably it's probably two hours plus on the way up. If there's a wreck on the way down, it could be four hours on the way down. Your kids probably miserable because they've never been up in twenty degree weather on a snowboard. This actually ties to the next piece that I want to talk about, which is public education in America and some of the spending that's happening there. But I feel like the straw that breaks the camel's back with this stuff is. Near, and it's near probably when something like a recession turns the tables here, because you can either be uh, i think at this point, it's pretty easy to say the very wealthy family that buys ski passes for your kids and probably has a mountain condo and that's a wonderful experience, but it's incredibly expensive. You're probably spending twenty thousand dollars a year on making this an enjoyable experience for you or the person that's trying to do it ad hoc and spending whatever 500 to 800 a day for your kids to learn to ski. And that really doesn't work anymore. Yeah. It's
0: since it's a holiday time, I bring up objectively the best Christmas movie of all time, which is a Christmas story. And in that movie, there's a quote, fragile must be Italian. (laughs) The father in that movie mispronounced the word fragile. So all that was just to say that similar to what we've we've discussed about other parts of the economy, there's a good amount of fragility that sits in a model like this when you're dependent on this and also dependent a lot, not just on maybe predominantly, not on people in Colorado, you know, where these mountains are, buying these passes, but across the US and globally, people buying these passes. And so you have the ability to build large when you have like that that big of a base with, that's willing to spend that amount but then the fragility to try and use his pronunciation the fragility of it exists
1: it gets real and when it falls it falls i think it is really fragile i mean 30 years ago the city of denver owned the most popular ski resort in in the area and basically you'd show up with a cooler and do whatever you wanted. It was not a thousand day adventure. Now I've followed Vail Resorts because it's, it's literally like in my neighborhood um, for a long time. What they've done, which is really smart that private equity led to is they've diversified their revenue streams. The revenue stream like 50 years ago used to be entirely based on lift tickets. And if they got a year with no snow, it would be lift tickets sold at the point at the time that you're actually skiing or snowboarding. If they had a year of rough snow, that's what led to Vail and Beaver Creek headed towards bankruptcy. They were incredibly dependent on that. Now, if you look at Epic's revenue pie now, it's like split into fifths between lodging, between uh, food, between upfront lift ticket purchases. And that. so it's much, it's a much yeah. stabler enterprise.
0: So I get the the lift tickets day of versus the passes because if you sell a pass at the beginning of the year, you get your revenue regardless of whether there's snow or not. I get that yeah. diversification, but isn't the lodging and food and all that
1: stuff also dependent on snow? Well, this is where I think it's fragile, right? You want people to reserve their lodging six months in advance, and you they've um, okay, I, I think another I think another twenty uh, percent of that pie is like shopping. So they've made Vale a town. A place where people that don't ski can still go have fun and spend money in the winter. And you I think you'd be shocked at how many people show up on their family vacation and never step foot on the mountain. Okay. I get that. I get that now. I get what you're saying. Smart. Yeah. Fragile. It's fascinating. But smart. So let me let me try and eloquently swift switch gears. I don't know if we can do this. Wall Street Journal did an awesome breakdown of Auburn University and what they've spent money on in the past couple of decades. Dougal's, I'm going to try and make it a larger point because the Wall Street, what the Wall Street Journal is doing here. It's really not about Auburn. It's about your typical state university with a big football team and a desire to attract new students. Okay? By all accounts, and I hate university rankings more than anything else, I'll use this as a PSA, if you are blessed enough to go to A quality university in the United States of America in terms of what is available to the rest of the world, you should feel extremely grateful for that opportunity. I'm not saying any of these universities is bad. I'm not saying Auburn is a bad university, but by most metrics, Auburn would be a mid-tier US university. It's not an Ivy League education, right? No. So as you're saying, it's quality, but not top tier. Yep. Yep, not top tier. What I think matters about <laughs> about education is actual education. Maybe I'm insane. Maybe that's not what matters. Auburn's public cost in 2016 of US. universities was 170th, effectively. Wow And what's happened in the past 15 years is now they are the fourth most expensive public college. Quality education, I don't think, has changed very much. So ROI. So questionable. Th- Auburn's total annual expenses during that time have gone from about 700 million a year to 1.5 billion. Let's call it doubled. Okay, And it's largely doubled. There's so many graphs in here. You might have to help me out. Uh, but it's largely doubled with a lot of debt spending on things that don't seem like they directly impact the education experience. Speak on it dorms i guess dorms i mean you need you need somewhere to live you need some dorms but do you need super nice like 100 million dollar dorms i don't know lots of facility spending those who know college athletics in america know that america is crazy for football and especially crazy for college football auburn is in uh one of the most recently successful conferences called the Southeastern Conference. And they've spent money on a new student center, stadium additions, a new basketball arena. I mean, this stuff adds up, Dougals. And for those that, that are not familiar with Auburn, one of Skippy's favorite
0: football players of all time and one of Skippy's favorite basketball players of all time went to Auburn.
1: Who's that? Bo Jackson. Oh, Bo Jackson's amazing. There you go. And Barkley. Yeah. Barkley's amazing, too. So, Barkley like, got so, paid uh, at Auburn. Good for him. Ahead of his time, before NIL. <laughs> All right. Uh, general numbers here. This is a comparison of 2002 to 2016. So it's not even up to date, but it gives you an idea of trends. This is my favorite one. It's a small piece of the pie. Guess how much money they spend annually on landscaping. $25 million. No, it's only $3 okay. bucks. I mean, three- I was, I was just going stratospheric 3 million bucks okay their their general debt service used to be um like 11 million a year it's almost 30 million a year now that is wild their utilities are 30 million a year what, what the the picture i'm trying to paint is you could have no one show up at this facility no one learn anything and you could be talking hundreds of millions of dollars in debt service and, and utilities just to like keep the lights on. Three million dollars just to do the landscaping. like we've turned these things into, sorry, mini rant here. It's basically a country club. And listen, I like a country club as much as the next person, but it seems <laughs> It seems fragile. This is where I'm going to connect it, right? Yeah. Like, why should someone have to pay the fourth most expensive public college tuition? When I don't think the education has changed significantly in the past 20 years. Yeah, is, this a,
0: is this a cycle that has like a self-reinforcing cycle where you, just to pick on landscaping for a moment, mm-hmm. yeah. you're like, oh man, we're charging people X amount of dollars. So when they come to visit, we better have nice landscaping. Oh crap, we spend in this amount of landscaping. So now we need to increase our prices
1: so we can afford the landscaping. I absolutely think it is. I think how universities, big public universities, where maybe academics isn't the deciding factor of if people attend, it's more about the college experience, and that relates into football and basketball and everything else. I think they've created incentives to try and get people to pay the bills, and those incentives are really nice dorms, uh, really fabulous football stadiums, You know, Auburn, like everyone else, built a new recreation center that was tens of millions of dollars just for the students to work out. It's It just seems disconnected from what I think the core tenant is. Here's where I get concerned. If this is fragile, if my hypothesis is right here, and enrollment goes down, or they have to cut tuition costs because people just simply can't afford it anymore, the taxpayers are the ones that cover this. Yeah, exactly. Because the university can't. I don't know what their endowment is. But... Yeah, I don't either. And I don't even want to get into endowments. That's a whole other rant. Two, Two more, no, three more metrics here and then I think you get the point. Athletics debt service went from about $6 million a year to $17 million a year. Housing debt service went from effectively zero to $16 million a year. And deferred maintenance went from 11 million to 14 million. The deferred maintenance is the buildings they already had <laughs> <laughs> that they weren't servicing properly that they stopped spending money on and servicing so they could build new buildings so they could increase the so they could double their utility bills and pay for more landscaping like this is not a problem that's just universities i see this all over the place you see abandoned cities in the rust belt with what seems to be perfectly great office buildings that no one uses right and we go and we build new and i just I just thought this was a really well done piece, and I think it happens all over the place uh, at these public universities, and I think it's an issue. And then Dougles, we go to this leads to your favorite subject, which is well. Then student debt is crazy because people go, "Well, my dad went to Auburn. I kind of wanted to go to Auburn. I don't. Ha- I can't pay twenty five thousand dollars a year, but like it seems like it's always been a good investment. So I'll sign up for it. Little do you know." Half of your twenty five thousand dollars a year is going to pay for the football stadium, the fancy dorms, the rec center, and the landscaping. Like it's completely broken. Thanks for bringing it up. I mean, honestly, it's a this. This is one of those topics that we got to talk
0: about. We all got to talk about it and be aware of it. You can read more on the Substack on Monday. All right, I'm stepping down off the soapbox now. Get I'm I'm pushing you off the soapbox. Okay, Let's be, but on. but I'm happy you came on it because I want to end this podcast on a dire note. It's actually not all that dire. But it is dark. Tell you that much right now. Are we talking about your stock picks? You back on the soapbox? <laughs> Go. All right. No, we are talking about Bird Scooters, people. Here in the United States of America, there is an organization known as Bird, and this organization provides micro mobility in scooter form, my friends. A couple weeks ago, Birder filed chapter Chapter 11 bankruptcy. So not liquidation, but restructuring bankruptcy. There's a piece called Blood, Guns, and Broken Scooters Inside the Chaotic Rise and Fall of Bird by Amy Martin. This is in Wired. I did not have a sense for how these scooter organizations were structured until I read this piece. Bedlam, bedlam is all I gotta say up in here. So, as I mentioned, Bird recently filed for bankruptcy. I'll give a little bit of history. Company was founded not all that long ago. 2017. This company is only six years old and it was started with 10 scooters out in Santa Monica, California. Within nine months, it raised more than $300 million and was valued at $2 billion. We need a sigh right there because you could have just told me that and I would have been like, this ain't going to work out. Like, I don't even care what the company does. That's not going to work out. Couple. Let's fast forward a few years. In 2021, so two years ago, Bird goes public. So it's been a public company now for a couple of years. It was its valuation, I think, was $2.5 billion when it went public. Before the, the bankruptcy, about a year ago, the New York Stock Exchange, oh no, so this is a few months ago, sorry. New York Stock Exchange was saying, kind of got to delist you because your market cap's under $15 million.
1: What happened between then and now? Let's go for it. Okay, at a high level, isn't it kind of amazing to step back and watch what happens sometimes with venture capital-backed companies? Like, this was Uber and Lyft rushing to get as much market share as possible and not carrying at all what the, the expenses were. And then you never make it to the other side. <laughs> so you, you effectively just shovel money into a fireplace. And then there's no money
0: left. You're not wrong. In (laughs) this case, it seems like they were also shoving people into fireplaces. Is the the difference? Is the difference? So in 2020, March of 2020, this is when COVID really in the U.S. became like Mm -hmm. a thing that people were fully acknowledging. Schools started shutting down. Businesses started shutting down. The ridership of Bird plummeted. People weren't going nowhere, no more. So they got rid of a whole bunch of people, fired a whole bunch of people. And later it showed when they, because they went public after this, it showed that their revenue dropped by about 50% at this point. So as a company, they were like, what do we do? What do we do? They started this fleet manager program is what they did. And a fleet manager, they were in charge of charging. So people ride the scooters around. Someone's got to go and charge them up because they run on batteries, repairing the scooters, storing the scooters. It was all the stuff to take care of a scooter was happening. Before you hop on that scooter, it was happening by these fleet managers, and apparently the gig was pretty solid to start. As just like you were mentioning with Uber Lyft, right? You talked to drivers when they first started with Uber and Lyft, yeah, making biggity bank, and now less so. So fleet manager program, the hotness in April twenty twenty. Some people described it as addictive. It was so good, and I quote, "So much money that it was actually pretty stupid." is what a fleet manager said a former fleet manager back and who's in san diego at the time
1: mm-hmm.
0: people making six-figure salaries blah 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 blah. you get the point awesome then june 2021 this is when bird was preparing to go public things started to shift because to your point shoveling money into the furnace you have to at least do less of it when, when you're a public company than he did before is what they were kind of saying so we got a change of our program so they offered new contracts According to this, it's more like they forced new contracts upon the fleet managers, which cut their, the fleet managers' revenue, their takes in half, roughly. And I'm going to skip some of the details here, but I'll give a high level. The way that this was described by the fleet managers as to what their program was, so everything was cut in half. They still had to do a lot of the same duties. But the, but Bird, according to this, again, Bird started caring a lot less about, cause they're cutting costs, right? Caring a lot less about, the quality of the scooters, the maintenance of the scooters, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And you can, I can, let me speak for myself. I can see it on those streets. I remember, whatever, three years ago, if a scooter was in a certain place and you came back like an hour later, that scooter was likely gone, either because of a rider or because it was picked up. Yeah, I will see a scooter in the same place for days at this point. And it's probably tipped over, got a beard, smoking a joint on the corner. That scooter because it's so sad.
1: Did you, you ever watch the? This? I mean, did you ever watch the new? Um, I forget what's called. I think it's called Plutonic on Apple TV Plus. Yes. <laughs> That's <sounds Yeah>. right. <laughs> He's kicking over the scooters. Dude kicks the scooter every time he sees it, and I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, so great. <laughs> Yeah, so the so the the fleet managers are talking about them coming to Bird and saying like the brakes aren't working. Working. Yeah. On our scooters, absolutely. and and they're in charge of now fixing it. And so in some cases they're saying they're going into debt to fix their scooters in other cases they're saying that bird will pay them to get the scooters regardless it is as i mentioned bedlam because the scooters have to be taken care of and they're reliant upon these individuals that are now they're forcing contract after contract that is giving them less money which means that they have less either they have to go into debt or something but they have less resources themselves to go and fix it which when when you go and find a scooter on the corner there's an assumption as a consumer. That scooter is in good shape.
1: Is it an assumption or is it a mandate? I mean, there's well, some that, legal. Yes, th- there's no, some that, legal action what, happening. Here. Yes,
0: that is where the assumption. <laughs> yes, you're right. That's where the assumption comes from, though. Yeah, it's just like if you if you go to a grocery store and you buy a piece of food, there's an assumption that that food is not tainted, right? Like that is an assumption that there is a quality process that goes into it. And in this case, people are riding scooters into intersections because the brakes aren't working. Like it's just. It is not good at all. So then you end 2022, last year. And even after all this, after all the, the cost cutting they're trying to do, after all the stranger danger of these scooters, Bird, for those that did not see, came back and said, yeah, we actually overstated our revenue for the last couple of years. <laughs> this good is work, in a six-year yeah, six period. This organization has raised tons of money gone this public. is while
1: they're public too yeah yeah,
0: they're... yeah yeah they've like raised tons of money gone public created and then cut off with of this program for people to take care of their scooters people are getting injured or dying on scooters and they can't do internal accounting now
1: is there accounting arthur anderson is that who's doing their audit yeah they said this company's been around for a long time <laughs> enron fame i mean come on <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs>
0: Oh, that is an old accounting joke right there.
1: (laughs) So this is Bird. This
0: shocked me. Like there, if you, the thematically, there were parts of this that didn't fully shock me, but getting to the details of this piece, I just went, wow. And it's part of the, the six year thing. When an organization is forced to try and grow this quickly, and especially in the macro environment that we've been, that we've been discussing for a couple of years now, safety goes out the window. Humanity seemingly goes
1: out the window. I like it. Uh, yeah. I don't want to jump to I mean, there's a reason I typically make company companies prove that they're profitable before I'm willing to even consider an investment. You're you're not even really talking about the investment side of this. The investment side is a absolute disaster for oh. all fronts. If you bought the <laughs> bird IPO, two billion to fifteen million dollars in market cap, you're just those two numbers are not comparable. Mm. And the VCs on top of so the VCs shoveled all the monies into the fireplace. Bird's executive team forgot about safety because of the loss making that's happening. And all their investors lost basically every single dime they put in. And if you recall, nine months after it was founded, there was over $300
0: million invested at an evaluation of $2 billion. Mm-hmm. Four years later, the company goes
1: public via SPAC. Uh, please tell me Chamath led this. I'm a look we can only hope <laughs> But yeah thanks for ending on that note <laughs> bird scooters. blood guns blood guns and broken scooters you got anything else in the bowl no that's it happy new year to all enjoy this week Hit us with listener mail skippy at gmail.com all the thanks for the show skippy it was a fun investing year Diggles. it was oh my goodness what a ride what a yeah. ride been a lot of fun Thank you, everybody. Peace, guys.